Good morning, Athea and I are here with Marvin. Marvin, would you tell us your full name and your career, where you work? Uh, name is Marvin Allen, and I work here at the historic Hotel Monteleone. Um, beverage manager, former bartender in the carousel for 20 years or so, and having a great time. Great, great. So we met the other day, we were talking all about absinthe, and you had some interesting things to share. Being yes. here in the French Quarter for a couple decades. Uh, yeah, you know, a few more than that, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> we won't go into full details. I understand. Yeah, you know, because it feels like it's only been yesterday. Right, right. But um, yeah, absinthe, absinthe is an interesting spirit. It's got a bad reputation. Falsely so. Mm -hmm. The problem with absence came in back in the 1900s after the flock epidemic killed a lot of the grape crop and stuff and killed the wine industry. Because the, the artists and so forth, instead of drinking wine, they were drinking absinthe. So when Floxica, you know, wine growers were recovering from Floxera, they got this campaign that they wanted these artists to start drinking their wine again. Mm -hmm. So that's that negative campaign against absinthe. By the wine industry. By the wine industry. Because absinthe was more popular than wine in Paris. Correct. Yeah. So instead of sitting around in a cafe in the afternoon and having a glass of wine, they're sitting there having their absence. The wine industry wants some of their money back and their profits, right? And their profits. Yeah. Quick question, what were they making absinthe with when there were no grapes? It's, um, it's a distilled spirit, so they're using kind of grains, um, almost like a vodka. Okay. A neutral grain spirit. Sure. So these stuffs, these other um, herbs and so forth were then infused into this neutral grain spirit. Got it. So it could have been a higher proof right. from what you were getting with the grape distilled. Right. Correct. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, because, uh, you know, it, it's, it was, um, you know, well, flocks are also affected cognac. That's right. That's right. I know that. That's interesting. Yeah, made from grapes. Right. So which cognac. Is why, <laughs> which is why the Sazerac, which originally had, had cognac. cognac. Well, there's a number of reasons, but that's one of them. And about that same time is when Thomas Handy bought the Sazerac Coffee House, and his family was in with rye whiskey. So it was just kind of a natural transition. Sure. I mean, that's more simple than what it actually is, but it's, needless to say, that's kind of where that transition came through. And the rye basically stuck. Mm -hmm. Again, cognac, because it became hard to get, and I know this is about absinthe, but cognac got that mystique about it also and became a, kind of a, this exclusive, more like a rich man's cocktail, which mm. rich man's drink. Which wines sort of went through at that time too. And wines at the same time. Again, because that same problem of the uh, phloxera 
you know, killing the wine crop, wine became more expensive, more rare. Yes. You know, again, you look back and that's where um, Absent got that bad rap. Yeah. Because if you go back in time to Great Britain, gin was more more of a problem than absinthe ever was, but gin never got banned. Right, right. If you look back at the history of gin, um, God, I can't think of the name of the artist, but he's got a thing called Gin Lane that shows the problem with gin. Mm. And kind of like the drunks and so forth, they were on the side of the road and all this stuff. Absinthe never had that. Um, there's the story, there's a, like any type of story, there's myth, there's some truth and there's some fiction in it about this gentleman that got up in the morning and he had a shot of absinthe first thing in the morning to get himself ready to go to work. He asked his wife to polish his boots for when he came home at night, if they were going somewhere or whatever. So he meets his father and his brothers. They have some coffee and brandy on their way to the work. They have some cheap red wine with lunch. On their way home, they stop and have some schnapps or whatever on their way home. You know, they've basically been drinking all day. Mm -hmm. But remember, it's just the one shot of absinthe first thing in the morning. Gets home, finds out his wife did not polish his boots. Kills her, the kids, the she's dog. Pregnant. Bed, and she's, she's pregnant. John, John LaFay. John okay. LaFay, yeah, yeah, something like that. Something like that, right. And so kills his family, everything else. Well, the anti-absent people say, oh, see what absent did. <laughs> <laughs> so it's basically the shot that killed absent. I wonder if he got cash or less prison time for blaming absent. I, I don't know. <laughs> committed suicide. So, yeah, that's right. So, uh, either right before the child, right, right after. after yeah, sentence. that's right. And, uh, you know, so it's that media whatever that killed absinthe mm -hmm. unjustly. Right, right. Because they claim you can hallucinate whatever with absinthe. Well, you can hallucinate drinking vodka. Yeah. If you drink enough vodka, you're going to hallucinate. Yeah. You're going to see pink elephants going down the road or whatever. <laughs> They're just going to be green fairies with absinthe. Right. That, that's just it. And you know, and some of the myths involved with absinthe also goes along with what happened after during prohibition here in this country, where there's some really bad stuff out there. Yeah. Um, the bathtub gin um, that went through car radiators that weren't properly cleaned. I mean, as it turns out, when you don't regulate alcohol, people take advantage of that. Correct. And, you know, so absinthe got, got this really bad rap. And, you know, and then there's some bad stuff coming that, you know, basically make it palatable. You basically had to light it on fire and some of this stuff. Throw a bunch of sugar in it. Sugar and, and, and et cetera. And, again, you know, for almost 100 years being banned. Um, you know, thank God for Ted Bro bringing it back and some of the stuff he did to bring it back. Absolutely. Um, you know, he made a great quality absinthe. To, you know, reverse engineered, he got some pre-banned absinthe and went to work on that and came back with, you know, and of course, you know, the American government had problems with the labeling at first and said, oh, you can't bring it, that's absinthe, it's illegal. Well, I got it already approved by the FDA, blah, blah, blah. Again, it's that false um, 
negative. Yeah. 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 It took me 23 months to get my labels approved. Yeah. <laughs> we we think wheels move slow sometimes. Yeah. And with absinthe, and there's a number of really great absinths out there. Some, and there's some also some bad ones, like anything else. Mm -hmm. And I think the romanticism of some of them with the luching and the sugar and stuff um, to bring down the proof, to add a little bit of sweetness to it. It's fun. It's that romantic part of seeing this happen and, you know, serving it that way. And absinthe, um, myself personally, at first, I was scared of it. I thought I was going to hallucinate or whatever. So because... was I. <laughs> Part of its appeal. Yes. So you're thinking uh, that, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because you think, okay, absinthe, you've heard all these stories. And is that going to happen to me? Right. Whatever. I know mean, the first time I tasted Why absinthe. Why is it illegal? What's going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was like the first time I had it. I'm thinking these things. And, you know, I'm tasting it. It's not bad. When was the first time you had absinthe? Shortly after Ted Bro came out with it. Okay. Okay. Um, how many ever years ago that was? 2007. Okay. Yes. I had been bootlegging it for 10 years at that point. Yeah. So this was, <laughs> this was probably the summer of 2008. Okay. Um, he, he was here for Tales and going from there mm -hmm. you know so there was still that very scary whatever element yeah. element and also i'm not a big fan of that licorice flavor mm -hmm. but i do um i think absinthe does calm your stomach mm -hmm. it has that calming effect um because of those properties and whatever else is in there and as a side note, when we tasted with you that day, my stomach had been upset, but it, that little tasting got me back even healed. Oh, nice. Oh, good. <laughs> you know, I'm not allowed to talk about any of those health benefits. So. I know, because they're not. <laughs> it's illegal. It's illegal. It's alcohol. But yeah, both anise and fennel have calming Yeah, Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. For your stomach acids. Right. right. That's right. According to folklore. Folk. Yep. Yep. I mean, and vitamins that are sold in Whole Foods that say take this when you have this. Right. Right. It's the same yeah. thing. Um, but like I said earlier, any any spirit I can overdrink and hallucinate with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And feel bad. So like I said, absinthe got that bad rap. And the only place from I understand where absinthe was still legal to produce had been Spain. Yes. Because whatever in the UK as UK, well, the UK wasn't really producing. No, any. it was Spain was yeah. Spain was producing Spain was, it. Spain actually moved their absinthe making over to, to Spain. The right. Spain. Right. Yes, that's right. how Hemingway got. It. And the Brits saw it as a French problem, so they didn't even need to make it illegal. Right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was very British. Yes. Right. right. Yeah. You know, some of these some of these historical things are hysterical. They are. They are. What about the history of New Orleans. Yeah, absinthe, you know, of course, because of the French and Esther, there's a big connection with that. So that when absinthe got banned with the Sazerac, 
that came into effect to where they were, I'm trying to remember how this goes. Herb Saint became the substitute for absinthe, but they also had produced an absinthe here, and then they had to quit production, and absinthe came in. And that's where some of these others, like um, Pernod, mm-hmm. came into effect as... Wormwood-free absinthe. Right, basically is what it is. Right, which is not absinthe. Which is not absinthe, but it's got some of those same flavor profiles. Right, right. And that's where, you know, and now um, Herb Saint is back making an absinthe. And um, so it's gradually starting to come through. People are starting to become more educated on it as learning more and reading more. And it's not this scary thing anymore. You know, the way you're going to cut off your ear or... (laughs) (laughs) And not what encouraged him to cut off his ear. Right. And that's really our intention here is to help educate. Right. And I think... um, you know, and there's a lot of spirits out there. Uh, let's face it, at one time, tequila had the bad rap. Mm-hmm. Well, it was bad. It was bad, right? <laughs> it was all <laughs> the sugar at the bottom of it. The worms right. in the mezcal, yeah. the sugar, sugar and the tequila. tequila uh, yeah. Yeah. Thank God we're over that. And yes. I think we're getting to that same point with absinthe. I mean, let's face it, uh, you said what, 2013? 2007? 2007. Yeah. So that's, what, 16 years? That's not a long time after something's been banned for almost 100 years to start making a comeback. Yeah. It's going to be a gradual... And like I said, that whole licorice and these flavoring is not... I don't know if it's a real popular here in the States. It's not... We don't grow up with any flavored water on the table. We don't no. put uh, a lot of fennel in our salads. Salads yeah. or... Um, it's just a, not a familiar taste. taste. You know, like the... Um, there's a, a German uh, Christmas cookie with the anise in it. Um, can't think right now what it is. There it is. No, you said it, and I have no idea what the name is. But you, you've, yeah. I've had it too. Yeah. We'll figure it out. Yeah. It's we'll kind of out. a hard, like sugarish type. It's like like a molasses cookie. Yeah. We would put molasses in here in the states, but it's, they're doing a nice that. Right, <laughs> and I forget, yeah. I forget what it's called. But neighbor, when I was growing up, she made these cookies, very traditional with them. But that's where I first got that kind of flavor. Yeah. Um, the only other flavor I think that we're used to here would be the good and plenty candies. I get that all the time. I mean, it's... Does it make you want to name something good and plenty? Uh, No. No. I'm constantly telling people, don't think about good and plenty or Mike and Ike's. Think about a fresh fennel salad. Yes. But again, but that's something we're not used to. Mm -hmm. We're not. And people are scared of it. But I often find when they taste absinthe, they say, oh, I actually like it. Like, they're really surprised. They're very surprised. It doesn't actually taste like licorice. It tastes like all these other things that are coming up for me. Lemon, you know. Yeah, and these things. And that's, um, well, another example kind of would be gin. Mm Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't like gin. I don't like Christmas tree. I don't like that juniper. Right. Well, there's a lot of gins out there where, yes, the juniper is there. It's not the predominant taste. Mm-hmm. Right. It's citrus, etc. The same with absence. There's all kinds of them out there and tasted a lot of them, yours included. You know, yes, 
that anise fennel flavor is there. It's not the citrus comes through, these things come through. Mm -hmm. And some of these other ones, okay, lucid, very fennel um, anise flavor forward. Mm -hmm. Again, they're all over, you know, there's a lot of other ones. Right. And I think people need to get educated on that. Whereas, let's say a lucid would make a very good Sazerac. Mm -hmm. I don't think yours would because it's too subtle. Mm, interesting. I know the Blanche is too subtle for the Sazerac. Right. The Vert is good for the, the Vert. Sazerac. Yes. But it'd be something you'd have to experiment with. And then that barrel age just wouldn't work at all. No. Right. I mean, flavor. so that's, and it's nothing against the product. It's just how these flavors work. Right. I mean, you wouldn't put, um, oh, you know, they could be, it could be work in a Bloody Mary. Mm -hmm. The barrel age is really good in a Bloody Mary. Right. And like <laughs> I tell people, when you put absinthe in a Bloody Mary, think about Italian sausage in a red gravy. Yeah. So you got that tomato spicy gravy with the Italian sausage with the fennel coming through. Mm -hmm. Got it. So you're getting those flavors. Right. So as a mixologist and bartending for all these years, what do you like about absinthe? Like, how does it lend itself to some of these drinks? And why do you reach for it when you're pouring things or making up new cocktails? It's, it's one of those things that you've got to, for A, first of all, be careful because too much can kill something. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. Like in the Bloody Mary, just enough to give it that little extra kick. Right. Um, it's something that I like to play with, with the citrus. It works well, it plays very well with citrus. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't play well with whiskey. Mm -hmm. Well, depends, but not really. Depends, yes, yeah. you have to be careful. Very careful. It does work with gin, but you got to play. Right. Uh, I think those two play off each other really well because right. they're very similar. Very products. similar products. Um, you know, both neutral grain spirits that have botanicals added. Right. Um, you know, the citrus with the absinthe plays well with the gin. Mm -hmm. um, I've actually made a, an aviation with a little bit of absinthe in it mm -hmm. that works very well. Yeah. It kind of helps tone down a little bit of the creme de violet, that nice. sweetness. Right. But it still gives you that violet that you want in there, nice color, etc. Yeah. Um, I... You know, I just like absinthe too, and this is where I think it's a good thing that's missing is absinthe is a great after dinner type of digestive. That was traditionally what it was. Right. Here in America, we don't care about that. No. But in France, it was a digestive. Right, and something after a good meal, like in um, in Italy, Sambuca. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, and it helps freshen the breath. Freshen right? the breath. in other places. Right? And the schnapps in other people. Right. Right. It's, you know, here we take it to the point of we just slam it down. <laughs> well, go big or go home if you're not American. Well, this yeah, is true. Right. This That's is right. true. <laughs> take um, it all at once. You know, nothing against any of that, but you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so, you know, like after dinner, um, like a nice cognac or a Sambuca or an absinthe be a perfect mm-hmm. a way to do this. And I think of restaurants... You know, talk to a wait staff some of this stuff. And then you got the showmanship of the absinthe if you're looshing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, some need to be loose, some don't. Mm-hmm. Some people like that, and some don't. I mean, right. it's not, it's just what you like. I find that the French 75 cocktail is too sweet for me. Right. A little and bit I of rinse absinthe. the glass with, with absinthe like a Sazerac and then pour the French 75 in. Yeah. And you're getting that residual aromas and so forth. Not Without so much, overpowering the drink. Right. And not so much the flavor mm-hmm. as it on the nose, which helps cuts that sweetness. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah the same as in a Sazerac, you don't really want to taste that absinthe, mm-hmm. but you want that residual effect from the rinsing of the glass mm-hmm. to be there. Right, right. And, you know, it's that fine, subtle way, and I think it's absence the same way. And again, whether you louche or not, that's strictly up to you. Mm-hmm. If you like it full strength, enjoy. Yeah, I have customers who don't want a louche, and that's fine. They can do what they want. Do what they want. Yeah. I I like the louche, mm-hmm. and I also like the showmanship of the louche. Yeah, it could be very pretty. Yeah. Showmanship is the best part. Yes. You know, yes. Like or when people are having it for the first time, and you're witnessing it, you can... You get that like wow to do it with factor. an ice cube and then some cold water, well, and then yeah. you know they see that wow factor. Yeah, yeah. It's no. also cloudy and milky in this pretty way. Yeah, right? exactly. And that's where the education starts. And they start wondering what makes it loose, what's in it. And that's where the bartender, the server, whoever, that's to me is part of their job to educate those people. Mm-hmm. Not just say, okay, here you go, pour the water and walk away. Right, right. There are bartenders who do that. Well, right, but. and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just was doing an interview just prior to this, and we got talking about some of that stuff. I'm like, you know, that's that's not what bartending is. It's craftsmanship. It's craftsmanship. Uh-huh. I can teach you how to make a cocktail, but it takes a special person to be able to serve that cocktail. Mm-hmm. Well said. Yes, that's really well said. And connect with that customer. Correct. And um, that's one of the things we lost. And and again, going back to the same time when we lost Absent, it's kind of the same time is when Prohibition hit. And it's only been about the last 30 years we've recovered from that, Mm -hmm. from Prohibition. Mm -hmm. Because when you look at the timeline, Prohibition ended in like 33. Right. Then we're into the Great Depression, World War II. Uh-huh. A lot of stuff has gone to the war effort, et cetera, until, unless you're part of the elite population of the country, you're not worried about drinking cocktails. So basically two generations, we lost great bartenders. Mm-hmm. There weren't any to speak of. Right. Then you get into the 50s and that's the um, tiki drink. Mm. The Brandy Alexanders. Correct. Now. Gimlets? Yes. Yes, those are on in a Mad Men episode. <laughs> right. <laughs> but you look at that, and these tiki drinks aren't bad cocktails. They've been made bad. 
because something gets popular, what was the first thing we do? How can we make it cheaper? Right. How can we make more of it faster? Right? And cheaper. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. like photography. Quicker, faster, cheaper. Right. Right. Correct. Well, you cannot have all three. Right. No, you can't. <laughs> So then you get into the 60s, and then you kind of get into the Mad Men stuff, the Manhattan, the old fashions, et cetera, the three martini, four martini lunch, mm-hmm. et cetera. Yeah. Then you get into the se- <laughs> <laughs> then you're into the 70s, and it's the um, I, you may not know this reference, but the Regal Beagle from Three's Company. The kind of the wine bar. Yes. Mm. With the yes. ferns hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> and then you get into the 80s, and you kind of start getting the disco era, the late 70s and the 80s, the disco era, the lemon drops, the, the sex on the beach, the cosmos, etc. Right. It really wasn't until early 2000s when, to me, the catalyst the cold cocktail cocktail revolution was tales of the cocktail and that's where you start seeing the absence start coming in because there's that questioning what happened mm-hmm. um you start seeing people like dale DeGroff, who had had the um in the rainbow room took over the cocktail program he brought back these old classic cocktails basically making bartender and noble profession again mm-hmm where it was lost prior to that. So when I say we got over a prohibition only about 25 or 30 years ago, those are the, that's kind of like the timeline. Right. And we're bringing things again, like I said, absinthe back. We can play with it. We can look and see what we can do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that, and kind of get the romance back into that. Right. And I think we lost the romance of the cocktails through that period also. Yeah, and then what I've heard is that because the economy crashed right after absinthe was made legal, right. it did not get the attention, the fanfare that it was expected to get. Exactly, and that also. And it's, it's just now starting to come back. And you're right, when absinthe came out, you know, the whole economy went kaplooey, um, you know, that whole mess. And I think we're getting back, I hope. <laughs> you know, yeah. post-COVID, hopefully the economy and everything else yes. is starting to settle down. Um, I don't know how much more of this we can take of... Agreed. I mean, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, yeah. Let's, let's, get, let's get over this let's stuff. Let's get over this. And let's right. move on. Yeah. And Easier said than done. It, 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 yeah, really. When you got... And it, you don't kind of look at the same thing. What happened to Absinthe, look what the news media is doing to everything else these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the anti-Absinthe campaign is really kind of one of the first advertising campaigns against something that worked, right? Because right? at that point in time, magazines were just really starting. You could take out ads. You had the posters that were and there. That's and none of fun. that kind of communication style had been there before right. that time. Right. We have a whole episode plan on that. Too, yes, we do. So, <laughs> yeah. Yo, so it's... Spreading the message changes with the medium that you can spread it with. Correct. Um, You know, and I think also here in the States, we're pretty much a whiskey, whiskey, vodka type of thing. Yes, whiskey, vodka, beer. Right. Right. Um, We're kind of getting into tequila mezcal Mm -hmm. because of some really great ones out there, but it's taken a long time. 
culture has. Um, when you look at some of the advertising campaigns like in the late 50s, early 60s, Smirnoff was great. The people they got to help push their product, Woody Allen, Jaja Gabor, mm. um, a lot of Hollywood people. It helped push vodka into the market. Right. Now it's not politically correct for these people to push anything like that. Oh, there's a lot of celebrity-owned brands that have right. a leg up that someone like me doesn't have. Correct. So frustrating. It is. <laughs> um, you know, the celebrity-owned brands of tequila. Yes. Is mind-boggling. It's so many of them. Really is. Yeah. Every time you turn around, another celebrity's got another tequila. Mm-hmm. I automatically think celebrity brand like Ryan Reynolds' Aviation Gin. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And what he's been able to do to promote that because of. His celebrity His own personal platform. Right. Right. You know, um, George Clooney and... um, Randy Gerber. Randy Gerber with Casamigos. Unbelievable, that deal they made. Right. Inspiring. It's inspiring. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I hate saying this, but possibly that's what Absinthe needs. Mm -hmm. But... Yeah, Ryan, if you listen to this, call us. Yeah, exactly. Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg. Oh, but I think it would help. Mm-hmm. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, it, it really would help. Yeah. When you look at some of these people, um, even you know when they mention it in their art, like in rap or whatever, look how far these things have gone. Mm-hmm. Right, like Crystal, Crystal and Hennessy, Hennessy yeah. etc. Um, I think that if Absinthe had something like in a, a James Bond movie, mm-hmm. that would help push Absinthe really far. Yeah. Look what it did to the martini. Right. Shake and not stirred. Mm-hmm. On the Vesper. <laughs> yes. That he only drank in one movie because she <laughs> betrayed him. <laughs> but, but you know, if we get to a James Bond or something like that in a movie with absinthe mm-hmm. being in the forefront. Yeah, yeah. I think it would work. If there are any help. investors listening. <laughs> Sophia Coppola. Yeah, even even if they. Yeah, yeah, even even like a Moulin Rouge type movie. Yeah. Um, Without them hallucinating. Exactly. (laughs) Please. (laughs) Please. But you know, when you look back, you know, Moulin Rouge was a place where they were drinking the Mm -hmm. absinthe. But if they did something, if there's a movie on something sort of like that, I think that would help stimulate the interest in the absinthe. There's a wonderful scene in. In a Danish film called Druk, D-R-U-K, or Another Rounds okay. is the English version. And there are teachers who are maintaining a certain blood alcohol level so they can become more interesting people. Oh, wow. It's a scientific project. Oh, wow. That sounds interesting. It's a fabulous movie. And there's a scene where they are drinking Sazeracs. And it is so well done. They don't hallucinate, but they get really drunk. <laughs> <laughs> yes. There's actually Never Have I Ever, the Mindy Kaling written produced show where they talk about absinthe. I brought that up. In the last season here, it's their final season, they have this episode, these high school students are having a cocktail party, as I guess one does when you're that age now, and they're <laughs> serving absinthe in it. Oh. 
an absent uh, forward drink. See. Yeah, I read it to you. I read, wrote down the quote. Okay. Yeah. So maybe Mindy will be ours. There we go. Kidding us. But but you know that that's why, like I said, absent just got that bad rap. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately. Right. But you think that it's got the trajectory going in the right. It's going in the right direction now, because there are people like you and other people, Ted Bro, etc., who are passionate about it, are producing a good product, and that's the key. Right. Do we need more people to like kind of endorse it, become more mainstream? Probably. Mm-hmm. So that we can get these myths of the guy that shot his wife, you know, Latrec, excuse me, cutting off his ear, things like that. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, we should look at, we kind of look at the history of absence. It's very negative. It is. It's very negative. Because the story is told by the people that don't want it around. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. You look at some of the posters, you know, the lone woman sitting by herself. I forget who painted that. It's a very... Do you remember that's one of your favorite ones? Uh... Grimoire? No. So there is a Degas and Monet exhibit coming to New York in September. And it's... Oh, it is Manet. It is Manet. Yes. One of the other, yeah. Yeah. And she's just sitting there... You know, she may only be like in her 40s or something, but she looks very old. Well, she's, she's actually an actress that he painted. She's in several of his paintings. Okay. Yeah. You, you know which one I'm talking Miserably depressed. Exactly. Yeah. With the absinthe in front of her. Right. Okay. What a negative image. Mm hmm. Um, then you hear the story of Lautrec cutting off his ear. Van Gogh. Or Van Gogh, I'm sorry. Van Gogh. Um, and some of these others. It's got that negative rap. Right. You know, when the posters first started, the advertising posters, it was promoting apps. Yes, it was. And quite energetic. Energetic and and fun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And showcasing, like, what this new absinthe could bring to the Right. Right? Right. (laughs) Right. It was a good time. And then when the anti-absinthe campaign came And that's when all this... The posters changed. Almost overnight. Yeah. Telling a new story about how it was going to bring it down. Right. And And that's where they dug into all this negative stuff that had happened. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I said, that poster is a, is a good example. Mm-hmm. Because it's very, when you look at it, it, it's very depressing. It is. It is. It's not something you ever want to experience. You don't want to be her. No. You know, so, uh, and then there's, um, you know, you read some poetry and stuff that was written supposedly by people that are done on absence. Mm. They're very depressing, very suicidal. Yes. Yeah. Uh, You know, and it's like, it's got that rap, which it shouldn't. Right. Well, one one aspect that we haven't touched on today is that alcoholism was not very well understood. Correct. And absence was blamed for it. Correct. The temperance movement, specifically out of France, that really drove that. And drove that, right. And... Again, everybody's jumping on the bandwagon. We got to ban this, ban this, and you know, kind of in some ways, let's face it, the wine industry—they're coming back and they want to get back. Put a lot of money, sure. I think, into 
these posters and funding this specific psychiatrist. Like, right. Unfortunately, I cannot remember his name at this moment because we've had a week at Tales. <laughs> <laughs> it is Dr. Paul Mangus, perhaps? Um, but, you know, they funded all of his right. studies. Right. Which were basically giving absinthe, pure absinthe. Rats and yeah. mice to see if they would pass out, and they did. Because and they, did. they are not humans. <laughs> right. Overdosing them with alcohol. Okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. If, as a human, if I drink uh, at a sitting, let's say a bottle of a bottle of absinthe, mm-hmm. am I going to hallucinate and pass out? Yeah. Probably. Probably. Right. Alcohol poisoning. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Okay. So I'm not going to name the brand, but we went to a certain uh, whiskey party the other night, and I was hungover for two days. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we didn't think we had that much, but (laughs) but there's just so much sugar in it. That's that's the thing. Cheaply made for profits. Correct. I mean, you know, it's. I mean, okay, you can OD on food. Right. It's true. Yes. I mean, what is it they say? Everything in moderation, including moderation. Right. Okay. Look at <laughs> look at our old Thanksgiving dinners we had kids growing up. Probably, you know, your mother lays out this meal of enough to feed fifty people. At least mine did. Fifty people, and there may only be ten of us there. Right. And nothing green on the table at all. Everything starchy, meaty, gravy. You're right. There weren't anything. Green. <laughs> or the green beans. With the oh, there's the green beans. Be- well, okay, that that came later. Yeah, the green beans later. with the mushroom with the orange. But the, you know that wasn't even healthy because there's the green canned green beans with the cream of mushroom soup right. with the uh, <laughs> with the cheap onion rings out of the can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The only thing of color really on the table was the candy sweet potatoes. When I started making absinthe in 1997. Okay. It was, I talked to my sister last night. She listened to the intro and she said, frankly, your absence used to be terrifying. And now she compared it to a glass of Chardonnay, which was really sweet. But my point is that I thought that's what absence was supposed to taste like. Right, because of all these myths. Yes. You didn't yes. know it could be sophisticated in right. the way that it's become through with your recipes, but also other brands. I thought it was right. supposed to be harsh and licorice mm-hmm. and barely drinkable. Right. Like a schnapps. Right. Not saying that schnapps isn't drink. I don't know. I don't drink but schnapps. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's quite strong, right? right? I mean, I haven't had one in years, but it's quite strong. It has different flavor profiles. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, it's that same same mentality, and I think we're gradually getting out of that. Yep. And I think one of the things I think could really help it um, is Tales of the Cocktail mm-hmm. to do some seminars on absinthe, which I don't think they've ever done. I have tried. Yeah. I've applied. If we keep pushing, would you be available? Yes. Let's do that. Yes, most definitely. Okay. Yeah, but I think that's a way to get it out there because, to me, the way to get things going is let's educate people. Mm -hmm. That's right. Um, That's part of our podcast goal. Yes. Right. I mean, that's part of the goal of my brand. I feel like education is almost as important as making absinthe. Right. And um, that's like 15 years ago. Nobody heard of Pisco. Right. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely true. And now most of us have an idea of what, what or, Pisco or is. Curacao was that that blue stuff. Stuff. Right. Nobody right. knew that it was 
different. This, um... I used to work with a woman who made biodynamic hand-peeled orange curacao. Yeah. It was like drinking liquid sunshine. Right. I mean, nobody realized that curacao was kind of like Quantro, mm -hmm. not like triple sec. Right. That's right. Or the blue whatever. <laughs> yeah. Drink a cocktail and your tongue is blue. Right. Quality matters <laughs> is what we're pouring. It does. Right? But that goes back to like what I said for, into the 60s. We make it quicker, faster, cheaper. Mm -hmm. And that's where some of these things came from. We right. can mask these. Right. And there's two or three um, brands out there. That's their thing. Yep. So I guess the question becomes, as absent games, it's in popularity, right? Which is what we're all predicting the trajectory is going to be. How do you keep the quality of it? I think while producing the quantity of it. I think that's that's going to be a that's going to be on the producers to do that mm, yeah. because the cheap imitations are already there. They are. That's true. That's and they're very popular, and people don't understand that they're not drinking a true absinthe. Correct, and that's where, again, let's say a, a, a platform, let's say like Tails, when you get in there and you do. You know, something like we're doing now, but we have an audience of 50 or 60 bartenders, bar managers, whatever, and get them in there and start discussing these things mm -hmm. and take, and, you know, getting questions from the audience and help educate them. Right. That absinthe isn't this scary product. And that you don't need to do quote unquote absinthe service to carry absinthe at your bar. No, no. Because there's absence out there that you can put by itself, mm -hmm. put it on the rocks. Mm -hmm. Put it in a cocktail. Put it in a cocktail. Right. Um, yeah, there will be a lot of bars that may want to do absinthe service for the for the presentation, for the romance of it. Sure. Which is great. Which is wonderful, but you don't have to. You don't have to do As I say, Americans don't really like to watch water drip into their glass. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but again, you know, that whole, you know, and, and, you know, sometimes after a nice dinner, it'd be kind of nice to, you know, they roll up with the cart, you have this nice absinthe fountain on, and that's a great way to end the evening. Yeah, it sure is. Wish we had one right now. Oh, all right, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much. My pleasure. This has Wonderful. been amazing. I feel like we could talk to you for three more hours. I know. Oh, yeah. We could. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but anyhow, I got to do some works, I guess, today. Yeah, I don't know. so do we. <laughs> this has been fun. Thank Good. You so thank much. you. We've enjoyed it, too.